Welcome to the Business Diaries podcast, where we uncover the stories that shaped the business owner. Brought to you by Lisa Settle and Isla O'Hara. Hello, and welcome to the Business Diaries podcast review for 2021. My name is Chris Pollard, and I'm joined by your usual hosts, Lisa Settle and Isla O'Hara. Good morning. Hi, everyone. Good morning to you both. Well, what an interesting year. Another interesting year, Lisa. I mean, the uh, Business Diaries has been in existence now for four years plus, hasn't it? Yes, it has. It started off in 2017 as a live event and that was always the intention and it carried on until we were forced to take it to the podcast as it were go online for obvious reasons and we've been enjoying that immensely so here we are carrying on well i say um, i first of all thank you for inviting me along today to this discussion the various business people that we've had on this year their stories have been inspiring motivating sad in in some cases but yeah would you both agree absolutely very much so but it's it, so it, different it, yes yes i agree with you but it seems to me that the consistent theme is that out of adversity comes opportunity and some of the as we will discuss some of the situations that uh, people found themselves in through no control uh, where they had no control over it were were uh, extremely interesting and how they move themselves out of that situation and into a new situation as we were here is courageous, is the way I would put it. Yeah, and very inspiring. So, shall we look at the first three business people who came on? Uh, Rosemary Williams for January, uh, Hasmita Reardon for February, and Nick Inge for March. I, as you know, uh, I've made various notes here. And one of the, the, the notes that I made, first of all, for Rosemary Williams was... Um, about listening and learning and asking questions. I I found her story uh, fascinating because she's done something that uh, I never had the opportunity to do or I never thought of doing um, or became aware of. And that was listening to, I believe, her uncle. Um, And he, she didn't realise by listening to him that he was passing on uh, skills around cookery and around fish. Lisa, what, what, interested you about uh, Rosemary's story? Well, I think, yeah, you're, you're talking about the sort of the family history. That's something that you've mentioned to me before that you've, you didn't have the opportunity to delve into. And I, I, I have, which was um, sort of taking my mum back and finding out all sorts of things, which ended up in a book. So it does get very involved. But I, I loved so I, I resonated with Rosemary's story and I, I really enjoyed the subtle move from it being family history to realising that she was actually, because her, her uncle very sadly was dying and it was, first of all, she thought she was just having family chats and then it dawned upon her that actually he was giving her that information he was handing it over um, and and it was her duty then and there to do something with it, I think she felt. And so then the transformation of turning that into a business was so interesting, so interesting. So, you know, aligning something that you're really interested in, something that's really 
personal and that you're passionate about to then actually finding a way to put that back out into the world and and turn it into a business was really really interesting yes i i completely agree isla what what are your thoughts around rosemary's story i love the way that she took us almost she took us back a step into thinking about food preparation uh sort of a generation ago compared with how we prepare food now you know we've we've all got very busy lives it's very easy to just go and rip open a film lid and shove it in the oven or or the microwave but she really took us back to that time where food preparation and sourcing your food finding the provenance talking to the fishmonger you know, buying food that was in season and then coming back to the home and all of the family together preparing the meal and the conversations and, that you can have during that that I- event and that time that it takes. I think we've lost a lot of that now. So it was lovely to recapture, recapture that. And also the fact that Lisa and I, we experienced that for ourselves as we went and had dinner with Rosemary when we were preparing for the show and we sat and we prepared the mussels so we had the whole experience and I think that when the family comes together to prepare a meal and then eat the meal together around a table not in front of the telly that's where some of the best conversations can be had. Yes I completely agree with you Um, I think two points there one about sitting around the table as a family Sadly, it has got lost. I wonder whether because of the changes that we are seeing and that we are going to have to make, whether this could become full, could come full circle over, over, the, next, uh, over the next 10 years. And also your point about um, uh, passing on skills uh, that uh, her uncle ha- had learned to, to Rosemary and she's developed a business. Um, again, wonderful skills to pass on. And, and I'm sure if you asked Rosemary, maybe you did, who would have thought that that would have turned into an opportunity that it has done because which she's continuing on to this day. And I think she, uh, when she recorded the podcast, she was uh, writing or uh, near the end of finishing her fourth book from memory. So, yeah, yeah. I think it went on to lots of books, didn't it? She, she's her her plan is to turn. They're all individual books, but I think they were all the individual shellfish you know, she was moving on from crab to mussels to um, what have you, but she wanted to then come full circle and bring it all back to one book. So that's have it, it pilot. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's right. what she's working on now. And there's lots, she's doing lots of masterclasses with the fish. Um, and, you know, the night that Isla and I experienced was, was good fun. Um and we learned so much as well. And, you know, so I, I, she, they are becoming really popular by the sounds of things. Oh, well, I'm pleased to hear that. I mean, from my own perspective, you cannot beat uh, a good fish dish, which has not been tampered with too much. Mm. Uh, mm. But uh, mm. yes, well, so yes, well done to Rosemary. I think uh, uh, all credit to her. So then that brings us on to February to Hasmita Reardon. Um it, it, it's a difficult one to know where to start with here because, my word, how she ended up in the UK, the story, and and when you were and I met last week, uh, Lisa, we were talking. You raised the point about um, when she was walking through the airport. Uh, this really stuck with me, and she uh, had seen all these bodies, and she thought they were all sleeping, but in actual fact, they were all dead. Yes, and it was yeah. an, an absolute miracle that she got on that plane. 
And then the miracle continued because she got to the UK safely. And then when they arrived in the UK, they had no money. And that they managed to find someone who went and put 2p uh, in the in the um, in the phone machine. Of course, those listening to you are probably thinking, two p in a machine. Well, yes, that's what we had to do in. Yeah, our, the bit, the old fashioned it? big two p's. <laughs> <laughs> Put two p in, and the story went from there. Isla has me to story. I mean, yes, it, it, it is incredible what she has developed from that day. It 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 is, and. I've known Hasmita for a few years now, and I, I'm privileged to know a lot more of her story than she was able to share with with us on, on the podcast. But a, a massive theme for me is the kindness of strangers. The 2P that you yes. allude to, um, you know, Hasmita's mother couldn't speak a word of English. She was due to meet a family relative at the airport, but they hadn't made arrangements, so she had to get in contact with him. And the kindness of strangers theme runs throughout. And I, I hope that she publishes her story one day because, you know, the stranger gave her the 2P that she could use to make the phone call. But that's not where it ends. You know, she goes on later, she moves house and she talks about how strangers, uh, her neighbours, who she, strangers to her, she didn't know them yet, came and put food on, the, on her doorstep to welcome them to the street. And how this theme... Uh, has helped her move forward and it, and is integral to her business and how she pays it forward. Yes. Lisa, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I I, I, I think that it was so inspirational. I, I mean, just thank goodness that her and her brother were children and they didn't understand. I mean, she did. Yes. She, she was naive enough to believe her mum when she said, oh, don't worry, they're just sleeping you know when they were, all the people were lying on the floor at the airport you know don't worry they're just sleeping so you know she she believed her mum and, and you know fantastic thank goodness for that obviously she's since found out that that wasn't right but under, fully understands the reasons why she wasn't told the truth at the time but you know thank goodness she was young and and got through it that way but can you imagine for her parents her dad having to say goodbye to them at the airport, not knowing whether he was sending them into more danger or whether he was sending them to safety. And that was I, just, oh, yeah. gosh, I mean, it just pulls at your heart. It and does. Then, it does. You know, sorry, carry on. What was you going to Well, I was just going to say, uh, in answer to the point you made there, I can't imagine, actually. I, no. I have no idea what that must feel like. And I'm sure it will be the same for millions of people. And in many ways, thankfully, uh, they, they they don't know what it's like because they've not had to go through through it. Um, I think it now, must be love. It must be yes. love. You love them so desperately that you you're willing to to take that chance. Well, you would do whatever you would do whatever you can for them. Yeah, <clears throat> and and support them. Uh, and you're right. I think love is at the basis of that. Um, you will say, look. I wish you luck. I love you very much. Just go off and, and do whatever you have to do and hopefully we'll meet again. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I mean, that's like stuff in the movies, isn't it? It's not, yes. it's not real life as we know it. But, you know, no, but not. what they've proved is that, you know, no matter how low your life can get or the points, you know, how you can get um, with depression and all sorts of things, that, actually you can bounce back 
Yes, you can. Yes, with help, guidance. The action obviously starts with yourself, uh, but there are people around, and I, I've always said that to people. People ask me, what's the one thing that you would advise me to do with a business or if I'm setting up a business? Or, and I always say, ask for help. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. set me in good. It really has helped me through my life. And also just finally, just with, with Hasmita, and now not only uh, aside from her property business, she's now set up a charity for domestic abuse, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, which is very much has been very much in 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 the news over the last six to nine months and uh, all credit to her. So again, well done, Hasmita. Um, and that brings us in March to Nick Inge. Yes. Uh, Nick um, was an ex-police officer. And I was fascinated by his story, how he ended up um, becoming involved in, in developing a whistle-blowing app. Isla, would you like to develop that? <laughs> this this was next story was fascinating for me for me because um I'm a public relations consultant so I'm sort of about reputation and reputation management and your own personal profile so what was interesting for me with with next story particularly was he'd come out of the police force and he decides to set up a business where nobody nobody he has no brand Nobody knows who he is. Obviously, he's very well known within, within the police force, but he's come out of that environment and he has to start again. He's got to build his reputation. He's got to build his personal brand. And he shares in the story how proactively he goes out and he does that. You know, he, he goes out, he, he goes to um, seminars and he reads. Um, yes. And he basically proactively goes out and finds the opportunities. And I think this is very interesting with some of our other storytellers where things happen to them. Nick goes out and says, right, this is what I'm going to do. What do I need to go and go and do it? And, and then he goes and does it. Yes, I agree. And, and, and But isn't that key, Lisa, to, to anyone who is in business or is thinking of going into business? It is about action and it is about doing it, not talking about it. Oh, absolutely definitely you you you've got to get out there and you do have to take action you can have all the plans you like in the world but if you don't put them um into place and put, take action then you're not going to get anywhere and he was he was all about opportunities I mean you know opportunities come in all different shapes and sizes and but Nick was Nick was oh he bounced off opportunities left right and center and you know he was up for the next one, so you know quite. A, it we did feel exhausted, Isla, didn't we? At the end, <laughs> we did because he he proactively goes out, and I think he says in the story that opportunities aren't going to come knocking on your door. You've got to yeah. go out and find them. And then you know his mantra is that hashtag you never know. Mm. Um, you've, you've got yeah. to live on the you've got to yeah. live on the street of opportunities to be seen. Um, but you know he. He has continued to take um, opportunities um, and I've spoken to him just recently, actually, and he he still, still got that, that hashtag, you never know, um, but he has developed the iTrust app, which is now going into businesses to help people tell the truth, basically. And, and that was, I, I mean, that was really interesting because I didn't know... I knew what whistleblowing meant, but I didn't know how 
it could help me or how it could be involved in my life and in my business. But actually now I, I do understand that and I can see that and it's it can be used anywhere. So it is really interesting to listen to his stories, written two books and um, definitely interesting to find out a bit more about him if you've got the time because it's amazing what he does. And he's got the uh, CIC as well, the community interest company called um, Worldly Wise. And Worldly Wise has been doing some amazing stuff recently as well, giving back to the community, going into schools, talking to students, and just making sure that they are a little bit more worldly wise before they set out on all these adventures. He's encouraged them in them to go out to do these adventures, but you know, just just take some take some words, wise words with you. <laughs> yes, and, I, uh, I, you know. yes. Um, I think PLW preparing for life and work is is crucial. Uh, in schools yeah. and, I, and I hope and, and it takes people for example like Nick you've done it yourself Isla I'm sure you've done it mm. I've done it in the past to go into stalk, t- schools and just listen and talk mm. to, to, to young people because um, again it's a discussion that we, we could go off for another hour about the uh, qualifications etc but we won't uh, but I think uh, what uh, one point that you made about Nick uh, you never know and I'd written down I'd made a note and I, and I think I believe he said, how, or I had written down, how risk averse are you? Well, you never know until you yeah. try something. Mm. Um, and, and it's only by trying something that you find out how risk averse you are. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I would say that he's fairly high, <laughs> high on, the, on the scale. Um, he, he told us how, I mean, I thought that that came with the job because he was a policeman and obviously you do have to, you have to handle risk. You're, you're going to be up against it. But he, although he agreed that risk, um, he learned how to handle risk probably by being in the police force, he probably already was fairly risk averse before that. He told us that he went off to backpacking to Australia, um, you know, with a one-way ticket, a map that he'd torn out of a magazine and, you know, hardly any money. And, you know, he just thought, well, you know, you never know. That we'll, we'll we'll see where that gets me sort of thing. So yeah, yes, you know, yeah. I, I think that he was he was fairly risk averse to start with. But but it's 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 an interesting episode in the sense that his enthusiasm clearly comes out, and I think you've got an opportunity. Sometimes we sit and we do we analyze opportunities, do we weigh up the pros and cons, and then almost we go into paralysis and we don't do anything. Mm, mm. Um, and yes, I think, and that's yeah. a good point. That's a very good point, Isla. You can overthink things. Mm. Um, I've always been the opposite. Um, I've always looked at something and thought, I'll have a go at that. And yes, sometimes I've fallen flat on my face. And other times, uh, you know, it's been a success. And success as well, I think you both agree, a, a valid point. It's not all about money. I know success oh, yeah, seems to be nowadays. Mm. It's about how much you've got, how much you're seen to have. Success comes in many forms. And again, this is a point I've made to young people uh, when I've spoken to them. Uh, but yes, you never know how risk averse you are until you try something. Yep. Okay. So now we come to April, May, June, and July. In April, we had Neil Williams. Uh, in May, Adele Martin. In June, Phil Wilson. 
And finally, in July, Hazel Adley. Now, Neil Williams' story, uh, to me, wow, where, that, where he could have ended up, started off, imagine, sitting on a bench and you're contemplating what's just happened. I'm sure we've all done that at some time in our lives, but in, in Neil's case, what had just happened, he'd gone into work expecting to hear that the company had posted an, a profit, but it turned out uh, that they had made a horrendous loss. They were, all the staff were made redundant, and uh, the seniors or senior in the business ended up going to prison. Isla, what would you have done in that situation? I, I'm I'm going quiet because I I just don't know what I would have done in that position. And I know speaking to Neil about it, he wasn't straight away. He wasn't concerned for himself. He was concerned for everybody else that he worked with and all the people that it would impact. And that's so very typical of of Neil. And he, but it wasn't just that that one time. I mean, he he, he took in an, he took another job, um, which was about two and a half hours away uh, from where he lived at that time, and that put pressure on him, and it put pressure on his family. Uh, he did really well in that job, but circumstances beyond his control, he found himself looking for another position. And just over the course of, I think, the, the 10 years, the theme that really stuck out for me in Neil's story was, was two things. One was personal resilience and how you bounce back from that. And I think that, Chris, is, you know, what, what would I have done? Would I have had the resilience to, to cope with that? I don't know. I mean, Neil at the time, he says the impact on him was horrendous, phenomenal. His wife, I think, was working with him on one of the company with within one of the companies, and she was made redundant at the same time. They had young children, you know. So how do you bounce back from that? Looking back on it now, he says that he took support. You know, he did ask for help, but he yeah. would admit now he didn't ask for enough help, and maybe he didn't ask for enough help from the right people because at that time redundancy was seen as a, a slight or, you know, a slur. Yes. Yes, and I think was. that, you know, thank goodness now, I don't think redundancy has that same, that same image. Stigma. No, Stigma, you're, you're absolutely. absolutely right. Lisa, um, uh, Isla mentioned about resilience. Uh, I'd also made a note as well, listening to it, uh, to his, his, uh, his story, that uh, he spoke about values. He spoke about knowing who you are. Um, and company values. Um, you have a you run a company uh, with your husband, and, and, and my feeling is that to you, knowing you as I do, that company values are important to you. Values in general are because you know who you are. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, of course. And you know, I shudder to think of what went on. And you know, we have to add that that guy that he was working for, not only was the accountant in cahoots because they were definitely fiddling their figures um they that the, they ended up going to prison so you know there was a lot going on and he, he really did let his team down and they they were all expecting this huge sort of celebratory day because there were massive profits that they were led to believe and um it was it's totally the opposite so yeah no I, I can't imagine treating my staff in that that way 
Um, I think that I think he said at the time 90% of the staff were made redundant. So, you know, that's that's just well, I can't even imagine it. I can't think about it. But and and, and also to treat your staff to the extreme that they end up in such a bad situation. I mean, Neil went on to be um, made redundant again. I think he was made redundant a total of three times in, in the space of 10 years. But the stress, and this is one of the things that I remember from the podcast, was he said about the stress crept in and he didn't realise that the stress was there. And it was just building and building and he had extreme (laughs) headaches and, you know, it took him a while to step back and, and realize what was going on. So that, that, and that was quite a lengthy uh, realization. And, you know, so to be responsible for all of those things happening, and we, we just heard the story of one man, you know, but to be responsible for that on a, a, massive level is is well um, he needed to go to prison I mean it's just unheard of yes I agree just, with you I, I, completely it, agree I can't with imagine you. doing that no, I certainly wouldn't no. do my business so no. <laughs> and out of that Isla um he has come a business now which supports people doesn't it yeah uh, who, he does he made redundant yeah and I, I I remember from the discussion about values we had quite an interesting conversation about how 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 do you know what your values are? You know, if you've got young a young person coming out of university, they're entering the marketplace. You know, we know that values and company culture are expensive to um, young people entering the, the workplace now. You know, but Neil was looking back on this from sort of years of experience. You know, how do you know if the company that you're going to work for has the same values that that you do? And that I think that was quite an interesting. A conversation and yes he does now he helps people uh who have been made redundant but he a lot of his work is actually specializing in making sure you know who your you know what your values are you know what your strengths are and you know how to build on your strengths and work on your uh work on your weaknesses um and to help you build that personal resilience i think that's i think that's key i think because so many of us uh, and I know myself, you know, probably uh, only until about 10, 15 years ago, but 10, 10, 12 years ago, that um, I don't think I was aware of how resilient I could be. Uh, and I don't think I was aware of, my, of myself as I am nowadays and what I c- could do, what I can do or what I could do then. And what I, uh, I didn't appreciate that I actually could have done more. But often so much of this comes down to confidence. And when people get put into a situation where stress inevitably takes over because of whatever's occurred, sometimes, um, I'm sure we've all been there, we don't step back and take a few deep breaths, maybe go and ask for help, or just sit back and think, okay, I am where I am now. Why am I here? What can I do to take this forward and to move out of this situation? And I believe what Neil is doing, I think, uh, is invaluable. And I'm Mm. sure that he's already helped hundreds of people. Mm. So this brings us on to May, uh, Adele Martin, a very different story, uh, but a story that um, registered with me from a man's perspective because maybe I've become more aware of it. 
um, because of my wife's situation, having been perimenopausal in her late 30s, uh, and then going through a second menopause now for various reasons. Um, Adele uh, was a heavy hitter. She used to be involved in, in a, you know, at a senior level in boardrooms. Um, and all of a sudden, the menopause came upon her. Lisa, would you like to develop this? Yeah. Well, she she starts her story where she, I mean, she certainly was, and she's a heart hitter. I think that that's that's really apt. She her her line is that she was the one that used to make people cry or make men cry in the ballroom. So she wasn't shy. She was um, very assertive and knew where she was at. And she used to travel up to Scotland on a regular basis for board meetings. And she, this one particular occasion, just just lost the plot, basically. Um, her memory had, had fallen out the window her mind had gone to mush and in the midst of it all she was having hot flushes and just felt awful and she went to the doctors and the doctors said that she was having a nervous breakdown but she really wasn't the type to have a nervous breakdown and they actually prescribed her with antidepressants and she felt that that wasn't right that there wasn't that didn't sit well with her she didn't take them she took the, the prescription but she didn't cash it in she had no intention of taking the tablets. She needed to find out what was wrong. And she set about doing just that and found out that all of these symptoms that she was feeling and experiencing were a result of the menopause. And she then took it upon herself to fix herself and then go on and help others to avoid what she went through. Yes, Isla, um, I, I completely agree with you. I, and I think... Thankfully, at long last, menopause is being spoken about. <clears throat> I think men, in general, ha have a total lack of understanding of the effect that it has on the person going through the menopause, and especially on potential relationships with two people as well. Isla, uh, Adele, uh, I think, did something very courageous and she decided not to accept the diagnosis of the medics and she decided to do something on her own. What, what I mean, that's, that's courageous in its own right, isn't yeah, it? it, 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 it is, she yeah. stepped out, she said she's not a medical person, but she clearly must have got desperate. And, and sometimes in our lives when we get desperate, we will, we will step out from the norm and say, I'm not accepting that. I know my wife's done it many times. I'm not accepting that. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you thought, I'm just not accepting that. I, I, I'm going to go for a second opinion or I'm going to do something about it myself. I think I have. But I think what was so courageous about Adele's story was she did have this hugely successful career and she had to turn her back on that. And I think your point about the relationships with others, you know, with your partner, you know, with your husband and, and, and your wife. But she also talks about the relationships that you have at work and your point about yeah. how menopause isn't really talked about, although it is thankfully 
becoming more acceptable to talk about it now. And I think Adele, I, I saw her on Breakfast News uh, a few weeks ago, early November, I think. Or, no, half term, October half term. I saw her on Breakfast News. So I think people are talking about it more. And I think that because of who she was and because of the type of job that she had, where she was in control, she was in charge, that to be faced with something going on with her body that meant that she wasn't in charge, she couldn't control what was going on with her, she couldn't control what was going on with her work because she clearly wasn't able to work. She talks in the story of basically being in bed for three weeks, just completely unable to get out from underneath the duvet. She goes to the one person who she thinks ought to be able to help her, the GP, and she's not happy with that. She knows enough. And a key theme of her story is that when we get to a point where we're going to say, I'm not accepting that, it does become our responsibility to inform ourselves. And I think with the menopause, I think, not speaking, this, I think there's plenty of women. I, I even say on the podcast that, you know, I'm guilty of probably putting my head in the sand and not really informing myself well enough about what's going on. And I think yeah. maybe that's, a key message from this story is that we do need to take responsibility. You know, we do need to learn. We can't just carry on regardless, hope that nothing really bad happens. Well, I think also, I, th I think you make a valid point. I think it's also unkind, and in my opinion. Uh, and I think in the workplace, it's both, I mean, you have women, obviously, who uh, who own businesses, and you would like to think in uh, a woman who owns a business um, is going to be more sympathetic and more understanding, are they? For sure, men, I, I just don't think, are aware. They don't think about it. And that's not a criticism. It's just it's not on their radar. And I think it, it is, we have a responsibility or, or women have a responsibility to bring it to the attention of men and uh, business owners, male business owners. And male business owners have a responsibility to either learn about it themselves, or actually, yes, learn about it, but also to ensure that someone in HR is aware of this, if it's a larger company, and that they are understanding and sympathetic. Because if you have anybody coming into business and they have, uh, I suppose, it, 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 an illness, would you call menopause an illness? I mean, it, it, it's a condition, um, you know, a body condition. Um, we, I think you have a responsibility to ensure that someone is looked after because otherwise the business suffers as well as the person who's going through the menopause because your business is just not productive. Which so I think, I, you know, I, I really wish her luck uh, and, 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 and continued success in getting the word out there because um, I really do think still the, there are misconceptions around the extent of uh, the, I was going to use the word damage, but the extent of how it can affect someone's life. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, this is something that it's a completely natural process. Yes, every single woman will go through this process, and I think that every single woman will have a different experience. Yes, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. So. Um, yeah, good luck to Adele there, and, and let's hope that she keeps spreading the word and people start to take notice. I think that they, I think that uh, you know people are taking notice now. I think you'd you'd be you'd do well to ignore it now because it's it's coming up all over the place. And just when you were saying about HR, 
and I mean two things you said about men men not being on it's just not on their radar I don't think that they don't want to be involved it's just you know they it's it's they're living a different life aren't they so it's not yes. it's not something that they have to think about but with with HR I, I notice now that for us I, I mean I've got a an HR um software at work that everything goes into it but blogs come up from that and and articles come up you know constantly and there are seminars uh, uh, you know on, on menopause now and how to deal with menopause in the workplace there are you, you know you have to have a policy these days so you know it it has come on there's still lots of work to be done but it has come on you know much more when you think about you know 30 years ago it was practically taboo you didn't even mention Correct. you know so yeah, yeah. so she's, she's doing you. a great job and and let's let's hope that good things come from that yes i completely agree with you so this brings us on to june and phil wilson our drummer uh what a character yeah um, and 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 again uh an inspirational story um i listened to this when i was out on a walk uh in a quiet lane in the countryside and it I suppose that there was there are areas that resonated with me because of around a, a, a lack of confidence for different reasons in standing up and speaking. But Phil, uh, to overcome a stutter in the way he did, going to a networking event, standing up and struggling to even say his name before he even spoke uh, about what, what who he was and what he did. Uh, and I've written down here a superb example of out of adversity comes opportunity. And, um, you know, at the first meeting, standing up, attempting to speak, but people stepped in, encouraged him, and he tried and tried again. Lisa, um, what are your feelings about Phil? You know him. Uh, Isla, you've met him. I've met him. I, I have nothing but utmost respect for him. No, he's he's amazing. He, he really is amazing, and uh, you know, I he did have. I mean, the you have to listen to the story because the the reason there's a reason he wasn't born with the stutter. There is a reason for the stutter, and right. his you know he had speech therapy as a child after the the incident that that caused him not to speak, um, but that didn't work, and they tried different therapies later, and he kind of got to a stage where he sort of accepted that's how it is in life you know um and he was you know really taking the mick out of at school but by the teachers as well as the, the students which is horrific but um you know he found he had a massive interest in music um and i think he found coping strategies within the music but it wasn't till that incident that you alluded to where he went to a networking event, stood up and couldn't say his name. And but just got so blooming frustrated that, you know, he went back to the networking group and said, you know, let me have another go. And he carried on and eventually he did it. And he, he said that he's kind of like Nick with his hashtag. You never know. Phil's hashtag was, well, that didn't work. What else? You know, don't don't give up. That didn't work. Um, let's try something else. 
Yes. And, you know, and, and eventually, you know, he didn't lose that stamina or, or learn to, get, to control it until he was 50. Yes, I know. Uh, it, it, it's amazing what happens when you're 50, Isla. Um, Again, it's enough's enough. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to have this anymore. Yeah, I, I think we've all been there at various times in our, in our lives, haven't we? We, you know, we we just said that's it. And, and I, I I made a note here, and I I, I talked about um, uh, he talked about, and I and I I looked at his story, and I thought, yes, he reframed so many things in yeah, his he life. Um, he he overcame them. And one one um, a part of the story which I loved was, of course, being a musician. A drummer, successful drummer. He's he played all over the world with with some mm. very large bands and some huge venues. When you think, you know, mm. I think he mentioned that he played to sort of audiences of 10, 20, 30,000, quite happily up there on the drums. And when you look back, that he struggled to go into a networking event and stand up and say his name. But then um, it doesn't sound right, does it? It's like, how, that, how can you do that? Yeah. How can you be on the stage and that you can't address a, mm. a room of 10 well, or something? You know, I would I would compare that possibly to an actor who is quite comfortable on a stage impersonating, mm. you know, being someone else and mm. they've learned their lines because I've done it myself over the years. I remember years ago when I was in Amdram and prior to that at school and I took, you know, uh, major leads in, in plays and I felt very comfortable. But put me on my own to, to sit and talk, in a, even in a classroom. Mm. I struggled. Mm. Um, but what I loved, one of the, the parts of his story that I loved, which was sort of a bit left, left wing out there, was that, of course, as a musician, because of COVID, all his business, uh, his work went down the pan. Yeah. And he ended up working in a pet shop, <laughs> which I thought was wonderful. Isla, have you ever in your life ever come to a situation where, which is, where you have no control over it for whatever reason? And you thought, well, I've got to go and do something. And you go off and do something which is totally different to what Did you, you end had. up in a pet shop, Isla? <laughs> I I didn't end I didn't end up in a pet shop. I, I think what immediately comes to mind was when I was a student, uh, so this was many years ago, 30 years ago, actually. Um, it was at the time where the news broke about the children in the orphanages in Romania. Oh, yes. And I don't know if you remember all of that, but it obviously struck a chord with me. It struck a chord with a lot of the people I was with at the time. And I was chairman of our university uh, fundraising um, organization called RAG. And we had uh, resources at our disposal. We had minibuses. We, you know, at the time, the Aberyst was RAG. Aberag was one of the biggest in the country. So, you know, we had, I looked around, I was chairman of Aberag at the time, and I, I looked around and, you know, we had people, we had resources, we had the vans. And we, so we said, right, well, we're going to take medical aid out to Romania, to these orphanages. And, you know, at 20, 21 years old, you think you can do everything. You think you can change the world. And so we went and did that. So I kind of probably damaged my, my university education by doing that. But in terms of life experience, it was, yeah, I, I can do something about this. This situation is unacceptable. I can do something. And, and so we did. What is interesting for, from Phil's story is he says at one point, what can I do to make me do X, Y, Z? 
Mm. I think, what a great attitude. I mean, I didn't know how to deal with customs. I didn't know how, there were so many things. In fact, throughout my career, there's been so many situations where actually I don't know how to do this, but I do know how to do this bit of it. So what can I do that's going to teach me how to do why or who can I speak to or you know how so this idea of making small changes count in a big way and what can I do to make me do x y and z yeah, yeah. Don't, don't give up yeah. yeah 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 it was definitely a story of hope oh yeah 100 yes. percent Yes. And not allowing something to define you. Correct. That having having that ability to say this doesn't define me. I'm going to ch- I'm going to change it, and yeah. I'm going to put a process in place. I don't have to be this person, or I don't have to be that person, or I don't have to be defined by that particular event or situation. Yeah, fascinating story. Yeah, yeah. I agree, and I think you know so far, and I'm sure it, it, it'll be true of a few of the others as well that. It comes down to courage, doesn't it? It yeah. really does come down to courage, and 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 uh, just you just have a go, um, and and so many times I think sometimes it's fingers crossed because we never know what the end result is going to be. You, as we all know, you can plan so much, but ultimately outside influences do become involved at some stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I thought, yes, as you quite rightly say, Isla, a fascinating story. And that brings us to another fascinating story um, for July. Hazel Adley, uh, what a brave lady. Um, you know, where would one start with this? I mean, she's been mm. on an incredible journey of self-development uh, through learning, um, both spiritually and emotionally. But Lisa, uh, look at how all this started. Uh, would you like to... Um, expand on her childhood and you know how her life began yeah I think that um poor yeah <laughs> poor Hazel uh, I mean it, it was something that that really did tug at my heartstrings yeah, um she was her her mum left when she was four years old and she was moved around she did stay with her dad but she was moved around and was sent to live with her nan um and then sent to then went on to her aunts and then went back to her nan and it was kind of the story was that that you know the first I don't know 15 years of her life was all about taking a suitcase having a suitcase ready you know packed ready for the next move and it was really really difficult for her as you can imagine but and you know she had that constant worry that she was going to be kicked out um you know because was it was it her did people not want her or you know was it the circumstance so you know there was always that feeling that she's perhaps not good enough Hugely um, unsettling. I mean, I can't. Uh, absolutely. I can't imagine what that life can have been like for for her, Isla. I'm sure. I would imagine you can't either. I mean, no. yeah. where, how how would one deal with that? I wonder. Uh, maybe the point that you made earlier on that um, if you're not aware of the reality, it was to do with Hasmita when mm. she came over and what she experienced. If you're not truly aware of a situation. That can be a bonus. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I think so. And this is actually something that Phil uh, 
Phil. Yes, Phil said he describes as a child. Uh, he was a uh, his father was in the military and they were posted at Aden uh, in the Yemen. And he talks about the uh, playground of his school. He was he was on the military base, but there was fencing over the top of his playground. So fencing up all over the sides, but also over the top. So it's like a cage, um, obviously to stop bombs and mortars falling onto the you know onto the playground he thought that was completely normal I think Hazel did as well she talks about uh in in the story she says um a, a child in her class a classmate said well you know why how come you live with your aunt and uncle and she just says well you know I just I just do and she also kind of accepted the way she felt about things and it wasn't till later she describes going to a workshop and she describes the statement on the uh, sort of the, the PowerPoint screen with, I think it's six words, how you feel is your choice. And she talks in the story about this made her really angry because she thought of everything, everything that she had, had happened to her in her life. I think she's 18, 19 by, by the time she goes to this workshop. And then she realizes and says to herself, well, if how I feel is my choice, that would make how I feel my responsibility. I mean, that gives me goosebumps now, just even thinking about that. But isn't that, isn't, is that not true for all of us, that how we feel is our choice, Lisa? It's, it's very true, but coming to that realisation, and certainly at a young age, I mean, you, you would be, um, I think it, it would be fine for her to come to the conclusion, given what had gone on previously in her life, that she didn't have any control over anything. And it, 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 it's all of this has happened and it's not my choice. It's not my fault. And so, you, you know, you wouldn't um, criticise her for, for having that attitude. So no. when, she, when she heard yeah. this or, or came face to face with this statement, how you feel is your choice she she was cross because so you you know you don't know what you're talking about you've got to be kidding and you know so then when she and and the realization she said you know but what if that's true but what if that's true and she allowed there must have been something in her mind that really wanted it to be true and you know so it it, it was nagging at her and she said she went over and over and over that question and you know well what if it is my responsibility and I can do something about it and then she took herself off on that journey and self-development yes yeah yeah and, and and both spiritually and emotionally and one of the uh points that she made which I love because it's something I've done um for all 20 odd years is a gratitude diary and um, you know, now you know part of my bedtime routine. When I go to bed at <laughs> night, when I go to bed at night, um, I have. It was a hot cup of cocoa. No, I don't have a hot cup of cocoa. No, no, <laughs> sorry, not at my age, Lisa. I'll be up half the night. Um, I have a diary. I have a gratitude diary by uh, by my, on my bedside table and a pen, and I write down five things that I am grateful for through that day. Uh, and that could be anything. It could be a meeting. It, be, it could be a conversation. It could be a walk I've had. 
It could be the fact that simple, I say simple, that's the wrong word, the fact that we, I have running water, I have hot water, I have electricity, I have heating. And, and these are maybe uh, many things in people's lives where they wouldn't even, it wouldn't occur to them to even be grateful because it's just there. It's part of yeah. their life. Um, but I've found that, that very helpful for me o- over the years, uh, and my wife does the same as well. And it's very interesting when you go back, and I do from time to time, and I'll go back and look at the previous month. Um, and I suppose it's it's like so many people who they would they will keep an actual diary of what they do each day. Um, do do either of you do anything like that? Maybe subconsciously even. As well. I, I I used to keep a diary for many many years as a teenager, um, and I really found that that useful and helpful. And I think it's sometimes I, I I was always of the opinion if something was bothering me or I had something on my mind by writing it on paper would clear my head, got it out of my head and it was now on the paper. And it was kind of like it was a way of being dealt with. So but as far as the um, I think when when I got to have children I didn't have the time to write the diary every day and it got to the point where I was looking back at the end of the week and thinking oh I'll just fill that in for a week and then it became a bit of a chore so I thought well no that's the time to stop but what I have continued to do is you know to wake up and and like you sort of waking up in the morning or before you go to bed and just reflecting on the day and just thinking one of the things I always think when I get into my bed is I love my mattress. <laughs> I'm so grateful for my mattress. I, love, I think we better go around and try this mattress. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, hold on a minute. <laughs> hold on a minute. Um, but anyway, it's, it's yeah, definitely um, sort of gratitude. I don't write it down. I don't have a gratitude diary, but I certainly have my gratitudes at the beginning and the end of the day. And Isla, do you... I I do something slightly different since I set up my own business um, and I didn't really appreciate what a roller coaster it would be. Um, you have some great highs and some great lows. So um, some advice that I was given actually by Neil, uh, Neil Williams, who we were talking about earlier. He said to me, you have to stop worrying so much. You have to enjoy the journey. Yes. So what I do um I have a paper-based diary as well as a, a computer diary. And every week or during the week, I write down, uh, I have a little section in the diary, uh, which is called Good Things That Happened. And I fill that out during the week. And like you say, Chris, it could be a conversation. It could be somebody new that I've been at networking. Um, it could be a project that's gone particularly well or actually something that I've learned that I'm going to put into my practice to benefit my clients. So I, I do that. It keeps me focused on the positive. I, I think just to end there, I think you made one various valid points but one that I picked up on there was enjoy the journey it's something that my wife says to me so many times enjoy the journey and uh, and if I'm concerned about something worried about something which we all are she, she'll look at me and she'll say look if this was your last day on earth would you be concerned about that would you be worrying about it and more often than not the answer is no so I think that brings us to the end of that section enjoy the journey And on that note, I think that's very appropriate that uh, we've come to the end of our journey on part one of the Business Diaries podcast for 2021. And we hope you've enjoyed it because we have really enjoyed discussing it today.
Part two will be published early in the new year when we will be discussing Benita Matoska, myself, Chris Pollard, Karina Gertz and Paul Cheese and their journey. So this just leaves me to say on behalf of us all, a very happy Christmas and we look forward to seeing you early in 2022. Happy Christmas. Bye for now. Bye-bye. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this edition of The Business Diaries. We would love to hear your feedback. Please find us on Twitter and Facebook at The Biz Diaries. 